was the J Cut, and this is the K Cut, a movie podcast for movie lovers. My name is Andreas. I'm the creator and one of the writers over at Films Fatale. I love international and art house cinema, but a little bit of everything in between. Uh, who else do I have with me? I'm Rachel. I also write for Films Fatale. I love classic cinema, which you will see on display tonight, and uh, silent movies, lost films, and international cinema. James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul, one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I've also contributed to Films Fatale, and my main interests generally lie in no-budget cinema or 70s cinema. And this week was my pick. And my topic actually came about not in anything specific other than I need to think fast because it got down to the last minute and I was like, oh, wait a second, it's my turn. So I, I don't know, just off the top of my head, I figured uh, let's talk about films that are favorites of our parents that's a great idea yeah why did you uh pick this topic i mean it it does make sense because we are cinephiles we have to know where we got it from but but why this one actually no reason in particular it just sort of came to me (laughs) i was like what 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 could we do and i was like you know what hmm let's see what kinds of films our parents like and i just yeah there's really nothing specific behind it i mean uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I was kind of thinking about it because uh, I think I thought about doing it before, but I don't know. I figured I'd just do a parent episode anyway, uh, just mainly because um, I enjoyed watching movies with my parents. And uh, I don't think I actually ever brought this up on the pod. I know I've brought it up other places, but my dad actually passed away this year. And uh, I don't know. I just thought, oh, maybe let's talk about films our parents love. Because I mean, oftentimes, you know, growing up, you generally watch a lot of movies with your parents. It's true, and I think their tastes rub off on you a bit. Absolutely, and uh, you know we're we're thinking of you um, every day, James. And you know we're sorry to hear about your father again. Um, uh, my mom's also sick, so we're um, rooting for her as well. Um, basically, we're all very conscious of like our our families at all times, uh, but also, yeah, what what types of films they're into and how we got to where we are is in this file. So um, who wants to get started? I'll go first. Uh, which, which order are we going in, James? Um, you know, I actually didn't really think. Ladies was- first. Let's go with moms. <laughs> sure. I almost gave this to you for smorgasbord, Andreas, and now I'm glad I didn't. And that is the sort of romantic drama. It's based on, I believe, a Neil Simon play called Same Time Next Year. It's one of my mom's all-time favorites. She's seen it about a million times. It's got Alan Alda and Ellen Burstyn. And they play this couple who meet sometime in the 50s. And they're both married to other people, but they run into each other. And they fall immediately, totally, completely, utterly in love. They've got to have each other, but they don't want to break up their lives. So their compromise is every year on the same weekend, they make an excuse and they meet in this hotel and they're in love and together for one weekend every year. There was this kind of period in the 70s where sort of going outside your marriage was kind of edgy in a semi-cool way, like you were exploring different kinds of relationships. And I think this was really much part of it. You see this couple and you meet them in the 50s and they're very conventional. And then as the 60s go on and the world changes around them, they grow as well. They grow in separate directions, but they grow together. And so it's really neat because you come back, I think, roughly every five years in this movie. And it's just beautiful to see how they essentially grow old one weekend every year. And Ellen Ald is great, but Ellen Burstyn absolutely steals the show. Um, She goes through so much in that film. 
And I don't want to spoil how it ends, but it is really, really quite lovely. And I'd recommend checking it out. It's not the greatest film ever made, but it's just really, really a great film to watch. I think I'm like vaguely familiar with it because I'm a huge fan of Alan Aldous. Like, you know, uh, MASH is one of the greatest series I've ever watched. Um, I actually do prefer it to the film. I love his work in the West Wing and even his supporting role in the Aviator. So I think it's like been on my radar. Also, Ellen Burstein is fantastic. So um, even though we're not supposed to like know future picks, tell your mom, yeah, I'll watch it sometime. Whether it's uh, some orchestra recommendation for me or I just get around to it. Um, it does sound very interesting, and it's nice when it's like a not discussed film that's somebody's favorite you know like on one hand it's cool that people love the godfather or citizen kane but to get something like this where it's like somebody's favorite film that makes you really think like okay this says a lot about the person's personality because they're not doing it because everybody else is picking it or that it's like you know the often selected choice this really speaks about the individual who really likes it yeah, and it's kind of gone off the radar. One of the reasons why I never gave it to you for Smorgasbord is because it's really hard to find. So I hope that more people hear about it and see it. Uh, the center of this film really is the two performances. It's kind of stagey, and there's not much to the film besides how these two characters bounce off each other, but they are really great characters. Sounds good to me. Um, I will... Uh, yep, you can always uh, recommend the film to me uh, same time next month, let's say. Uh, not not an entire year from now, but... Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so for this for this task, I know the question was, you know, your family's, like, favorite film. I kind of, you know, I, I'm going to, like, bring up what I believe their favorite film is, but also just, like, a film memory instead. Um so for my mom, she's forever said that like her favorite film growing up was Gone with the Wind. Um, so I do know like for like birthdays and anniversaries and stuff, my dad's like bought like I remember back in the day like that massive VHS set um, that came out and then the DVDs when it came out. So you know, um, even though I feel like the film is like pretty good, overrated, but like pretty good, it was a big deal for me to finally get around to watching it a number of years ago because I knew it meant a lot to my mom. But um, for uh, what I want to select instead. I uh, love going to the Toronto International Film Festival with my mom. I try to make it like an annual thing. Um, unfortunately, with the pandemic, um, things just didn't really fare out the last couple of years. And then this year, um, didn't really fare out either. So that's why I want to bring that up. Um, we've seen a number of films together, some not so great ones, but some really good ones. And my mom loves doing like the red carpets and stuff. Um, my favorite film that we've seen at TIFF, I don't want to go into it, is Roma. And you'll know why, because we just discussed that film, uh, you know, the other day, I think. So instead, I'm going to go with uh, the Best Picture winner from the year before, The Shape of Water. And that's a memory I hold really dearly with my mom, because um, she's seen, like, a lot of celebrities at TIFF. But, like, this was, like, the first time she got to hear, like, a filmmaker really, like, discuss the film uh, while it was, like, the Canadian premiere um, so Guillermo del Toro was there and he was like discussing the film. It was like the day after, I think. So it wasn't quite the premiere, but it was like the day afterwards. So he was still there. Um, parts of the film were shot in, I think it's the elegant theater. And lo and behold, we were watching it in the elegant theater, which was pretty surreal as well. That must've been so cool. Oh, it was so cool. And they were like, typically the premieres at TIFF, they show at like the Roy Thompson or, uh, princess of Wales, but 
they made sure that every single screening of The Shape of Water, including the very first premiere, was at that theater because, well, uh, Liza in the film uh, lives above the theater, and it's like that very theater. So um, it was pretty awesome, and I feel like my mom had a great time, you know, because she loves seeing celebrities, but at the same time, I think she really got something out of hearing like Del Toro speak, and she was like, uh, she liked the film, but of course, it's not like the greatest film to watch with your mother, <laughs> particular parts especially. Um, but she got a really good kick out of it, a really big kick out of it, rather, when it won Best Picture. She got to say, wow, I was one of the first people in Canada to see this, and it won Best Picture. So that's a memory I hold really dearly with my mom. Uh, by the way, I try to watch every Best Picture nominee with my mom every year as well. So, Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so... I gotta say, my mom absolutely adores The Shape of Water, too, and she was happy when it won Best Picture, and almost no one she knows liked it, so I know she'd be happy to hear this story. Oh my goodness, do you know, like, every family gathering, especially because, like, I know this is the case for all of us, we're probably the go-to film people in our extended families, so all these gatherings, like, the, let's say, the summer after it won, um, it would be like... Uh, do you know what and uh, in case you don't know my family calls me like they call me andrew because that's what it is in english so it would be like do you know what andrew that movie where the woman makes out with a fish not into it <laughs> i had to answer all these questions about this movie well, i was a little uncomfortable but eh, you know i'm sure we all suffered the same thing right <laughs> well your mom's clearly cooler than most my mom has put up with my music taste like when we go for like drives and stuff she's put up with some uh uh, extreme metal like uh, Death Heaven and Slayer and stuff. Um, she's put up with Godspeedy Black Emperor, which is like experimental uh, ambient drone music. She's really open minded. She's really chill. <laughs> James, what about you? What is what, what pick did you go with when it when it comes to your mom? My mom has a couple. There was one I was gonna go with. I think is her actual absolute favorite, but I don't think I've ever seen this movie in full. Which is Love Potion Number Nine. Wow. I know it's a song. I never knew there was a movie with that name. Yeah, uh, I forgot who was all in it, but I, I think Sandra Bullock's in it and like a couple other people. Yeah, that's a very specific film again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, but I don't think I've ever. Actually, I think I've only seen clips. I don't think I've ever watched the entire movie all the way through. So, um, uh, another one of her favorites, and I think I did. I don't remember if I saw this in the theater with her when it came out. Maybe when as a family, but um, she's a really big fan of uh, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. Oh Ooh. yeah. Yeah, because, um, like, my mom, she's not very active in the realm of musicals, but she does really enjoy stuff like that. And this was always just one that she just really loved. And uh, I remember I actually got it for her on DVD uh, one year for Christmas, just because, like, my family doesn't really collect media like that, which is funny because I'm really big into it. So I'm actually kind of an outlier in my family because, like, I don't really get any of my movie taste from either of them. Okay. Is she into other Tim Burton stuff? Yeah, she's seen other Tim Burton movies. I think this was this was just one that she really loves. Because I I don't know I don't I, th- I think she's I don't know I think she's seen Sweeney Todd before like the actual stage show. I don't it's know how. I mean I haven't really dug too far deep into it. I just know that's like a movie that she really enjoys. But uh, I I remember liking it when it first came out. I mean uh, Tim Burton has a knack for doing stuff like that especially in his style and i think this one works especially um seeing sasha baron cohen play a role that isn't just what he does i think is always really interesting because it's like he could do a lot more than a lot of the really weird stuff he does 
Also, Helena Bottom Carter is an absolute treasure, and I will never not watch anything she's in. That's Sounds like true. somebody's going to get some Virgin Ivory productions in her future. Perhaps from Rachel? <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, prime Helena Bonham Carter. Like, she's been killing us since she was, like, a teenager. Um, no, but, okay, so I know you haven't, like, seen the whole thing, but uh, it sounds like Rachel and myself don't really know much about Love Potion Number 9. What exactly is, like, the deal with that? So... <laughs> Hold on, let me look it up real quick because I'm, I'm really <laughs> fuzzy on it. I, I've heard of it in like these criterion. It's not on Criterion, but you know they get into like all these discussions. I've heard of it. I know like zilch about it. Let's see. Hold on. The synopsis: is, Unlucky in love, chemist Paul Matthews, played by Tate, Tate Donovan, visits Gypsy Madame Rosa, played by Anne Bancroft, for help. Oh. Quickly realizing he is a hopeless nerd, she gifts him with love potion number eight, which makes anyone who wears it irresistible to the opposite sex for four hours. Oh. Paul and animal psychologist co-worker Diane Farrow, played by Sandra Bullock, decide to test it on themselves. The awkward pair suddenly find themselves alluring to anyone they approach, but soon realize they are most attracted to each other. That sounds really funny. I'm pretty sure... Well, this has been referenced by a lot, I think, but I'm pretty sure there's like a Rick and Morty episode that's like dedicated specifically to this sort of idea. Also, Anne Bancroft. Okay. You know, I was like partially interested before, but sign me up. Also, I get apparently Ennio Morricone was one of the composers on this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I'll have to look more into that, but yeah, no, that's that. That's one she always cites as her favorite. And there's a, there's some specific scenes she, she always quotes. I can't think of it right now, but. Yeah, I was going to go with that, but it's like one I hadn't actually seen. I've seen bits and pieces, but never the whole thing. So I was like, I'll go with one that we've both seen. Uh, she's also a really big fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, okay. She's automatically on my friend list. <laughs> well, and when she when she was a teenager, she used to, she says she always frequented the, um, the, the midnight showings and, you know, where you like everybody repeats like the, fa- the, the audience script and throwing random stuff around and doing the whole thing. Your mom's clearly so, into like cult cinema. Uh, I wonder extent. where James got it. Uh, see, I, it okay, really so wasn't from her. I, I I feel like it's not the same taste, but there's definitely common ground. I feel like, like I think it was. I think it was like I didn't find this out until after I got really deep into movies. Oh, for sure. But I feel like there's something genetic there as well when it comes to people's tastes. Like, I don't think uh, it's it's necessarily just the nurture side of things of what parents show. Um, but at the same time, I don't believe in any, like, superstitious or supernatural type thing where it's like uh, somebody likes something, so therefore they inherently just like it. I feel like it just plays on people's personalities, which they get genetically and um, that sort of stuff. So it's like if you're squeamish, you might not like some things, or if you're obsessed with the unknown you might be into some other things i feel like there's definitely some crossover between what your mom's into and what you are like this you know finding things that people don't off talk about or they become called classics like rocky horror picture show but people didn't love it upon release and there's a good chance your mom was a part of that crowd when um when it first came out like the, like the small crowd that did like it you know well you also don't understand my mom was born in 67 or no, sixty five. Okay. So she was she was too young to have seen it. She was like seeing it when she was a teenager, like in the eighties when they were doing the midnight showings. Like okay, when it so became it was, more of like when it was when it had already been established as a cult classic. Okay. Now, um, it's interesting you're saying that because um, I think it's also really due to the circumstances too. Like my dad was born in the thirties, and what era film am I super into? 
Ah, uh, see? The film he grew up with and showed to me. You only like stuff from the 2010s, Rachel. That that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> now, the question is, has James ever been to a midnight screening of Rocky Horror? Yeah. Okay, oh, good. wow. I do him here. Otherwise, we would have dragged you up to Toronto. Yeah, no, they don't. So it's, I think the only thing is like, they don't have a lot of the gags that they used to be able to do where basically they trashed a theater. But no, they <laughs> yeah. they used to do it a, a yearly thing at um, um this local cinema franchise. They do it on like, I think it was like Halloween, maybe near Halloween or something like that. But every year they'd have a, like, it wasn't a, I don't think it was midnight. It was, it was a later night screening though. Okay. Do they do them at the Carlton, Rachel? Um, they did one on, at the Blur Street Cinema for a while. I went to one of those in college. Now, it's it's weird because now I feel like I'm the odd one out. I actually haven't done a midnight screening of that film. Oh my god, we've got to correct this. Well, it sounds like they do they do them in our area, so for sure. I'm down. I'm down for one of these days. Now, what about our our pops? Our dad's down for a midnight screening of Rocky Horror Picture Show. My my gut tells me no, but we're gonna find out. My dad would decline politely. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, we're gonna find out what our what our fathers do watch. So, uh, Rachel, why would your father decline? What is he into? Well, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, he is quite into westerns and classic cinema in general. Really, like um, I called my parents last night to get a list of films from them, and he named like a whole bunch from the forties and fifties. And um, one of his all-time favorites is actually later, and I I haven't brought it up on the podcast before, and that is the Western Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which, have you guys seen it? I'm pretty sure Andres has, I don't know about you. Oh yeah, it's a classic. I I, I personally prefer The Sting, but by by like a hair. Butch Cassidy is a classic. Right. So this is Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and it's uh, it's at that time when, A, the folk hero was really big. So even though they're outlaws, they're portrayed as heroic figures. And uh, B, the Western, the conventional Western was pretty much dead and you had to deconstruct it if you were making a film. So they're committing crimes and doing their outlaw thing. But the real center, I think, is the connection between these two men and the chemistry that Redford and Newman have together. And they're these kind of devilish renegades and they're portrayed by two very handsome dudes and you're really supposed to root for them. And it's this sort of reversal of what the Western really is. And of course there's that famous ending, which I will not spoil, but it really, I think codifies what the movie's supposed to be. Yeah. What I love about the time period that it came out, um, Actually, yeah, to go back to The Sting and this film, they feel like classic types of films or ideas, but done for, like, the cusp of new Hollywood. So, like, here's this new audience which is able to take it something a little bit more real, where not necessarily the hero wins and the bad guy loses. Or maybe there aren't good guys. Maybe just everybody is is uh, crappy to some varying degree, which I feel like is certainly true in these films. Um people kind of fending for themselves selfishly and everything. Yeah. Butch Cassidy is a, it's a great film, but I love that. It's also at the forefront, like a couple of other films at the forefront of the revisionist Western outside of what was going on with spaghetti Westerns, of course. Also, if you know the song from the film, it's now stuck in your head. I don't make the rules <laughs> that or the one from the sting. Make uh, pick your poison. <laughs> it's like, do you want some ragtime instead? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's one of my dad's faves. Similarly, uh, 
both to what you said and what I said before, I'm going to go with, um, you know, what I believe is my dad's favorite pick and it just like a movie memory. Um, my also similarly, my dad's super duper to Westerns as well. No surprise there. Um, I don't know my dad's like one all time favorite film. He has brought up quite a few ranging from um, much, you know, we're going to, we're not going to see eye to eye in every pick here, but this, these are my father's picks. Uh, something like Braveheart um, out, but uh, you know, something that I'm more into the outlaw Josie Wales is another film that he's brought up a number of times. Um, he, he's brought up like a ton of films. Um Oh, there's uh, there's a Western film like The Longest Night or The Longest Day, whose name I'm forgetting. I apologize. I the Longest Day was D Day. The Longest Day. Yeah. Um, it might be that, uh, which I obviously haven't seen. Otherwise, I would remember. Um, yeah, my dad is possibly the reason why I'm into films, even though we don't see a lot of uh, common ground. He's very much into like action films. The War Epic is where we. Um, we do share a lot of common ground, I think, and maybe more so with television than with films. But we used to go see movies all the time. And it would actually become like a Christmas tradition and a New Year's tradition where even when we would travel, like to, uh, specifically to Florida, we would go to Florida every year. Um, we would still see movies. So I remember seeing like all sorts of stuff from like Juno and There Will Be Blood. Uh, the The winter of 2007 was lit. That was like a fantastic. was such a good year. Oh my God. And I remember. 2007 was like the very year I got really into movies. <laughs> well, I can see why. I can see why. <laughs> it's one of the best years in film filmic history as far as I'm concerned. I remember another memory of like how empty it was. Uh New Year's Day 2004 and we saw Cold Mountain in like an empty cinema and I was busy playing with whatever toys I just got because I was like 13 I think and I was collecting like action figures and stuff um anyway point being we've seen a lot of films together a lot a lot a lot whether uh nowadays it's more so like streaming last film we saw in theaters together was um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but one film that we saw eye to eye on and it's like a rare one where if it's on, we'll, we'll both watch it. And it has actually happened. Um, is Brian De Palma's Untouchables. And that is a film where it's like, my dad adores it. I adore it. And it's, I just remember specifically, there was just nothing on, I think it was on AMC. And it was like, Hey, this just started. And I was like, you know what? sign me up and i remember just watching it and let's bring up Ennio morricone again because why not the morricone score is just to die for the uh, he's also a big kevin costner fan which that's another reason why there's not a lot of common ground because i'm not but here's a kevin costner film that we could both agree upon scott de niro being al capone in it which is really good um fantastic just everything the music is amazing just everything so whenever I picked that one specifically because whenever I watch it, it's tough to zero in on a film that my dad's into that I'm into as well. Because, um, yeah, a lot of the ones that he likes, I won't necessarily be watching. But that one reminds me of my father a lot, actually. It's funny that you mentioned this because uh, my dad, when I called him, he was like, I brought up, a, he said, oh, yeah, that one with Kevin Costner. And then he named like three Kevin Costner films. So apparently <laughs> Kevin Costner is just a dad thing. It is. So I, I feel like one day when I have a child, I'll be like, you know what? Kevin Costner is not that bad. Let's put on Field of Dreams. Uh, what films did he say out of interest? 
I think they hand out your Kevin Costner fan club certificate at the maternity ward. <laughs> That's the one I know I've made it. Wh- which ones did your dad say, just out of interest? Uh, the big one was Dances with Wolves, being named a couple of others. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Dances with Wolves is not bad. I, I, okay, I, I take that back. I actually like it quite a bit. I wouldn't say it's a favorite, but hey, you know, if my dad wanted to watch that as well, I, I, I would be down. But Waterworld, nah, I'm like, I'm good. Waterworld's awful. Yeah. Uh, does your dad like Kevin Costner and or Waterworld, James? I don't know. We've never watched Waterworld together. I don't know if he's seen it. I don't know if he feels any particular way about Kevin Costner. Nobody saw Waterworld. That was the problem. My wife really loves Waterworld. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, what does your dad like, though? It's actually really interesting because it's like, uh, like, like we talked about the year 2007. We went to the movies a lot that year. And oftentimes it was like mostly me going to movies with my dad. So we saw like so many things like uh, I actually went with him to see um, uh, the original theatrical release when uh, Tarantino and uh, Robert Rodriguez released Planet Terror and Death Proof is Grindhouse, like as the double feature with all the fake trailers. Wow. So I was like, I saw the trailer. I was like, dad, we got to see that. He's like, okay. And we went and saw it. And there's just so many movies that we saw the year. But um. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because we differ a lot in music, movie taste. Like, we have some things we both like, but then there's things where, like, he just despises or things I show him that he just does not care for. Like, I saw the movie Cube because he rented it. Wow. And he didn't like it, but I loved it. And then, like, I'll show him movies that I like. Like, uh, I showed him Primer and Upstream Color, and he was just like, no, not for me. But um, there's one, and he's he's a fairly passive movie watcher like he doesn't like watch anything specific he also did have a thing where it's like if he didn't like your politics he didn't watch your movies oh yeah i i'm very familiar with that too (laughs) yeah but um there's one movie and i find it just hilarious that this is one of his favorites but uh my dad really loved the movie super bad oh really (laughs) yeah i don't know what it was about the movie he just really he just really enjoyed that movie and i just think with super bad that movie it was one of those cases the right time in the right place. Like that movie was perfect for the time it came out. And to this day, I still, I still really enjoy it. I'm not even that big into anything like, you know, I'm not like a super fan of the, you know, stuff that comes out of the Judd Apatow camp. But for some reason, that movie just like hit every beat, especially, you know, you know, early careers of like Michael Sarah and Emma Stone and uh, Jonah Hill, who had at that point really, but I mean, he, his career had already been around. He'd been around for a few years, but it wasn't anything to highlight. And then this movie, you know, I remember being in high school and everybody just like quoting it to death or the whole, you know, McLovin thing. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those movies he just always loved. And um, I will say, though, I do have to credit my parents with uh, getting me into movies, into movies in one aspect uh, for my 10th birthday. Or, I think when I was 10, that wasn't for my birthday for Christmas. They got me a DVD player and we had not owned a DVD player at that point, but they got one for me specifically. And wow. it included a, and they also included a copy of the matrix with it. Oh my goodness. Those are some nice parents you got. Yeah. It was just, Oh man, that was like one of the best Christmases ever. And I what like, I was obsessed with the matrix after watching it on DVD for some reason, like, I don't think I'd seen it at that point. When I watched it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then it's a movie I haven't seen in years. But um, yeah, super bad. It's a very unlikely pick for a dad to like, but. I beg to differ. I feel like my dad's super duper into like that type of comedy as well, or like Adam Sandler type stuff. Um, I don't think so at all. I feel like our generation's version of that type of juvenile uh, type of behavior that like, 
older or like you know old when i say older i don't mean like teenage i mean like adult men are into like our version of that's like jackass i would say where it just cures that itch for a lot of like uh, because you know i think everybody in general was immature when they were younger but like guys especially are like super duper immature when they're younger and it just kind of it's like, you know what? It makes me feel useful to get to see Johnny Knoxville getting his teeth kicked in. Like, it's just something about that. I feel like stuff like Super Bad is the same. So, like, my dad was is super into, like, American Pie and that stuff as well. Or he was anyway. I don't know if that's changed, but... It's funny. Maybe because my dad's so much older. Like, he's in his 80s. But all that stuff is just not on his radar. He, he does not like it. And it just doesn't register with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, because uh, that stuff is more the product of, like, let's say the uh, 70s. Like, one was, um, oh, what's that Belushi film? The Toga, Toga, the Animal... Animal House? Animal House. When did that come out? That was, like, late 70s, right? I think that was early 70s. Early 70s, okay. So And, like, non-classy humor or, you know... It wasn't really a thing when my dad was growing up in, in mainstream Hollywood films because it had to be under the production code and it had to have a certain delicacy to it. Yeah, like, uh, you know, somebody showed their ankles back then. It was, like, considered bad. So you're not going to get, not like... <laughs> well, you said your, well, you said your dad was born in the 30s, so he would already be approaching middle age by the time New Hollywood came around. Oh, yeah, no, he, uh, like... He was a working adult when The Graduate came out. Um, he was told to see it by a bunch of teenagers, and they told him he had to drop acid first. He oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, the 60s were, were fun times, I guess. Uh, nonetheless, uh, those are our parents' picks. Um, how did they do? What do you think? Please let us know in our uh you know, our various forms of social media, which, where are they, Rachel? Uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And our cinematic smorgasbord this month is the month of the. It is the way we were, the king is alive, the great silence, and for a collective, the juniper tree starring the one and only Bjork. Uh, is the Bjork. <laughs> the Bjork, yes. The Bjork. Um, fantastic. Now, uh, we like to send everybody off by uh, weekly random recommendations where we kind of just either stick with the theme of the episode or we just come up with something completely arbitrary because, hey, we want to make sure that you are informed of a film that we like that you should probably check out. Uh, Shall we go in the same order? Uh, Rachel, do you have a random weekly recommendation? Okay, well, when I called up my parents to talk to them about this episode, they more or less demanded I include this film. And um, it is, it was going to be my random wreck anyway, but I was like, yes, this, this is your collective movie together. So it doesn't fit into either half of the episode, but it has to be included. And that is Notting Hill. And you know how everybody has that movie where if it's on TV, you have to stop what you're doing and finish the movie, no matter what you're doing. That is the movie for them. It's a lovely rom-com with Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, and they've seen it maybe 700 times and they will see it 700 times more. And it's definitely one of their collective favorites. I feel like your mom's going to hate me by the end of this episode. Believe it or not, I've never seen it in full. Well, you got to come to my house in British Columbia, 3,000 kilometers from here. Alrighty, just give me a couple hours and I'll be there. Um, As for myself, um, I'm going with something a little similar, but a little different. I'm going to go with um, one of the earliest influences when it comes to like films that like or directors rather um 
was through the form of my uh, grandmother on my mom's side. Um, in Greek culture, we call her Yaya. So my Yaya, uh, when I was a child, and I think I was like eight or nine, was like, because, you know, I was obsessed with like, you know, gory stuff or like horror movies. I obviously at that age didn't see the worst of the worst when it comes to like gory stuff. But I was intrigued by the idea of like Halloween and stuff. And my grandmother would always be like, oh, wait until you check out the greatest of them all, Alfred Hitchcock. And yeah, I remember being, you know, thinking a couple of thoughts when I first saw my random weekly recommendation, which is going to be Psycho. Uh, first off, this is a masterpiece. Secondly, the effects haven't aged too well, but I still feel really, like, uneasy. And third, yeah, yeah, Karina was right. She absolutely was right that Hitchcock's one of the greatest, and to this day, I think he's one of the greatest filmmakers. So, a shout-out yeah, to... Yeah, are always right. Yes, they are. A uh, shout-out to my, grandma, my grandmother back in South Africa, who is 95, I believe. Um, oh, yeah, Psycho. Thanks to my grandmother for recommending uh, one of the greatest auteurs of all time. All right, I guess I'm up. So I'm going to go with Army of Darkness by Sam Raimi because that was one of my dad's all-time favorites. And he's actually the reason I discovered the Evil Dead trilogy because I was going through some old stuff and he actually had the original Evil Dead on VHS. Wow. I was like, oh, what's this? And I watched it and instantly was hooked. I was like, this is amazing. And then he was like, oh, yeah, there's like two other movies. I was like, there's more of this? <laughs> that must have been amazing for like young you to be like, hey, and guess what? Uh, you know, not to step on any toes, but Army of Darkness is the worst one, I would argue. So they only got better from there, didn't they? <laughs> when i say worst yeah, i mean like least good i still like it i love much. it but it's like i i prefer the first two exactly Dark is still great also there's just something about i think it was also the fact that i watched the first one on vhs and not dvd because it very much looked like it was on vhs so it was like i don't know horror on vhs just hits different yeah i remember watching or it's like even psychological horrors i remember watching pie on vhs that was that was an oh i would have loved to watch that on vhs anyway in case you couldn't tell we could be here for like ten thousand years discussing stuff um any last things we want to say to our folks or anything like that shout out to my parents for bringing me into film and bringing me into the classics and creating a monster <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. Nothing really specific, I guess. It's just, you know, I always appreciate anything my parents shared with me, whether it's movies or anything else. And, you know, I'll always miss my dad, who was definitely somebody, he, he would literally watch anything with me, even if he didn't end up liking it. But that's okay, because that happens with everybody. Also, just shout out to my parents who have put up with my uh, obsessive cinephilia, um, ever since I was like a teenager and uh, are preparing to watch anything that I want to watch or would recommend, even if they didn't end up liking it. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to family. Family is very important to everyone. And uh, that was the K cut. Let's not get too emotional here. We're not going into the L cut. <laughs> <laughs>